everyone, and welcome to Seeking Sustainability Live. I'm JJ Walsh, your host. And today I'm so excited that we have a chance to talk about reusable containers, uh, which is really new and just coming to Japan right now with Loop and TerraCycle. So I'm so excited you could join us today, Eric. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So where are you、yeah. now? You in Tokyo? No, no, I'm in, I'm near Odawara right now, and I I go back and forth between here and、uh, Yokohama. We we're actually based in Yokohama. Ah,、oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I love Yokohama. For anybody outside Japan, Yokohama is a a wonderful old port area. Lots of big businesses there. Some very old red brick buildings, which they have. Reused into restaurants and stuff. It's got a great Bay Area, right? Yeah, actually, yeah, we're about a five-minute walk from the Akaringa、uh, nice. warehouse. Yeah, yeah, no. it's, it's a nice place. Now you you have a presentation to kind of introduce the idea of TerraCycle and and Loop to our audience. Thank you so much.、Uh, before we start into that, I'd love to know a little bit about your background. How did you get? Interested in in sustainability, or how did you start with this company? Yeah, so I I started out as、um, as a legal scholar, and I did postgraduate work、um, here in Japan at the University of Tokyo, and from there I actually became an in-house legal counsel in the financial industry, and from there I became an advisor within investment banking. Um, industry for many many years, and you know part of my job was was advising、uh, Japanese government agencies on privatization, and I also、um, managed a lot of different products, including fixed income products, which it included carbon credits and、um, different types of products linked to、um, insurance and disaster, and I had actually studied.、Um, In environmental economics, environmental science, as part of my law economics background, and you know, about how to regulate private industry to prevent、um, what we call externalities. One is pollution, of course, and how we correct market defects. And so, I had a long-term interest、um, in these issues. And while I was working in the financial industry, I did some volunteer work with. An organization in Yokohama that examines um, um, how companies and industries can reduce their carbon footprint, and I volunteered with them. And with the individual who ran that group, we started a nonprofit organization called Ocean Green Association to examine the impact of global warming on the coastal waters of Japan. And you know, from there,、uh, you know, we continued to work on. Different carbon impact projects, and it was in 2013 that I met with TerraCycle for the first time and volunteered to help them establish their foothold in Asia, and took on the job of establishing their Japan office in 2014 and their China office in 2016,、uh, Korea in 2017, and we now are working with、um, um, some local NGOs with our nonprofit in Thailand. Doing river cleanup, and that that's been you know a part of the journey. It was moving from a completely different industry and becoming engaged in sustainability and making a significant change
uh, in my life to work that I felt had a lot more meaning. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy I made the decision. And so it's been about seven and a half years working with TerraCycle, trying to find ways to make things uh, are difficult to recycle because of economic issues, um, recyclable. And more recently, we've launched a reuse platform called Loop. Um, it's been around in the US and in Europe for about two years now. And it just launched in Japan in May. And we'll look to roll it out to other countries in Asia, um, starting with Australia actually in APAC next year. And then hopefully soon after that into Korea and to China as well. Wow. I I didn't know that about your background, but I think that's so important that you come from the business background. You also understand the nonprofit sector and trying to do this because one thing that I think is so unique about uh, TerraCycle and Loop is it's a for-profit business. It's a waste management, but the the image of anything sustainable, I think, maybe anywhere in the world, but especially in Japan, is it should be a charity. It should be run as a nonprofit. Yeah. And your founder, Tom Zasky, is turning it on its head and saying, this is reusing is a way to reduce costs for companies. It's a way to you know, improve quality for customers. So there's so many added benefits to being more sustainable. It's such an important topic. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, you know, of course, we, we thought about organizing as a nonprofit, but the social enterprise was a better format for us. And I think, you know, we're, you know, recyc recycling and sustainable solutions, they're not, they're not going to be able to be uh, self-sufficient unless it can be done as a for-profit enterprise. So you know, we're out to prove that business can have more than just profits as a main objective that you know business can have different meaning as well social impact and environmental impact and still be profitable and with recycling that's key because recycling is about extracting value from garbage right and you know if if you lose money by recycling no one will do it and so to make sustainable um sustainability or to make sustainability sustainable um without market forces, right? Demand and supply for those services, it's not, never gonna last, right? People aren't gonna be willing to subsidize something forever. And I think um, lack of knowledge about how recycling works or how the waste uh, system works in Japan or anywhere in the world is is a big part of the, the problem why consumers might not make better choices, right? Like even, even me, I try so hard to investigate all the companies I buy from. I was just in Kamikatsu, the zero waste town for the last yeah. four days. And I visited Rising Wind Brewery. I'm so impressed by everything they do. But one of the things that they said made me really surprised because I assumed that they reused all of their small bottles and it's mm. not the case. They don't have a facility for mm. washing yeah. and reusing. So what I did, because I thought I was being so super conscious, is when I bought a six pack of bottles from them, I washed and sent them back to them. <laughs> <laughs> and so they actually told me, no, we don't reuse those. We only <laughs> reuse the bigger ones. And so I had no idea. So unless you're buying a keg 
or yeah. one of the bigger bottles, they just don't have the ability to wash and reuse it. So I thought that yeah. was a key part of the the situation that I had no idea about. So yeah. that's also a big part of your loop system is you have to have the washing facilities by a Japanese standard, but also global standard, right? Yeah, yeah. So you know, re reuse is is not something new. Um, you know, it's it's something that's been around for a long time, longer than disposability has. And you know, even even today, there are a lot of one-way bottles and one-way types of packaging, like probably what you saw, right? Those glass bottles. Um, whereas, you know, if you really wanted to reuse them, you probably could. Um, there's just not the infrastructure for that anymore. There used to be, but not as much. And and you mentioned like larger bottles, so. Larger beer bottles and sake bottles, for example, in Japan, um, in the B2B context, a lot of those are still shared and reused. So, you know, that's that still exists in Japan, but there's not a lot of reuse in B2C anymore, right? And that's what we're trying to change. We're trying to bring that B2C platform, B2B as well, but primarily B2C platform back. Um, you know, it disappeared and we're trying to, to bring it back. Well, I'm really excited to learn all about it. Sure. So do you want to do your yeah, presentation? Yeah, so I'll, and then I'll, I'll dive in with a bunch of other questions after. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, so Kamikatsu, it's a interesting place. I've been there many times myself. Um, okay, so let me, first let me expand the screen and just let me know um, are you, is it visible in full screen now? Well, can you hear me? Sorry, I muted myself. Go ahead. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Great. No. So this is a you know this is not a, a new company. TerraCycle has been around for almost twenty years, uh, and you know it started off in Trenton, New Jersey, um, spread throughout North America. About 15 years ago, started up in Europe, South, South America, and you know, just about eight years ago, uh, started in the Asia Pacific region. And the company is founded on this concept, uh, eliminating the idea of waste. You know, if you, if you think of, of, of waste, it, it, it's not something that is existing without human intervention. You know, waste doesn't exist in nature. Nature breaks down waste. Nature reabsorbs waste. Right? It doesn't. It doesn't exist. It's human intervention and the production of complex materials that creates things that nature can't break down. And reuse, you know, was something that was prevalent about a hundred years ago. And you know, if you if you go back to the 1920s and 30s in the United States. People bought things with the intent to use them for a very long time. Um, there was no such thing as fast fashion. There were no such things as disposable containers. Um, it wasn't until the 1940s and 50s um, that the United States, you know, provided this great invention to the world. And you, know, you can see on the left-hand side, this is 1955 Life magazine, an article. Right, it's called Throwaway Living. Right? Disposable items cut down on household chores. And many advertisements during that era in the 50s, uh, you know, depicted this 
this wonderful shift from reuse, which was circular, to disposability, which was much more convenient. And you know, it's led to the global plastic waste crisis. Um, you know, a lot of people ask, what is the recycling rate in Japan, right? And generally, the answers in the past have been, wow, you know, 70%, 80%. And it really depends on how you define recycling. Uh, you know, if you define recycling as burning something and capturing some of the heat, um, yeah, uh, that could be recycling, but we, we consider that linear and not circular. And so the, the actual material recycling rates in Japan are much lower if you only count circular systems like material recycling. And, you know, if you go beyond that, um, and, you know, if you, if you realize actually that up until 2018, about 70% of plastic waste was being exported to China and then subsequently to countries in Southeast Asia. Uh, you know, how much was actually recycled materially in Japan? Well, this sorry, this is in Japanese, but, you know, it's likely not more than 8%. And so that's part, part of the problem uh, in this country is that all the people, I would say, are environmentally aware, environmentally conscious, they have care for nature. They just don't realize there is a problem. Right. And, you know, because it's a clean country with great infrastructure, you don't see trash on the streets in your day to day life in general. And at home, you separate your waste. And I think that probably a lot of us, including myself a long time ago, believed that that was all being recycled in a circular manner. And the surprise is that it wasn't. And so TerraCycle is, you know, looking to make things that are non recyclable recyclable. You know, that doesn't make sense. Right. Well, it makes sense if you think of it this way it's not really an issue of technology in terms of recycling, it's an issue of economics. So if the cost of recycling is less than the resulting value of the material you produce, yeah, you'll make a profit. Things can be recycled, but that's not normally the case. Um, you know, with the prices of oil going down, you have to compete with virgin resin. And you can see that because of that, on the left-hand side, right, there's not a very good market for recycled material. And as packaging becomes cheaper and lighter, again, value of material is lower, you end up with a lot of things on the right here that are complex and difficult to recycle, right? That don't make sense uh, compared to things that are monomaterial and have some material value. And so this equation of recycling doesn't always balance. And so, you know, we seek to find funding from private companies. Uh, maybe, you know, it could be retailers, it could be brand manufacturers help but make this difference up to make things recyclable and you know what we do is we set up collection systems and logistics right within all the countries you operate uh, we collect in a traceable manner and once we collect the waste we have an R&D team that helps us figure out what to do with it and we have baseline supply chains that go into things that are easy to make like outdoor furniture or shipping crates and we do community builds Right. Um, recently in Japan, the Olympic podiums that you may be seeing on TV now um, was through one of our projects and many things that go back into into the stores as well. We also make things that, you know, can be can be used by brands, right, that sponsor collection. So, for example, turning a Kiehl skincare packaging, which we recycle back into makeup spatulas that Kiehl's can provide to the customers. Uh, maybe, you know, it can be something more interesting. For example, in China, we collect with cosmetic brands with L'Oreal 
And that collection is actually made into recycled resin to produce desks and chairs to be donated to schools in need. You know, and we do some fun things like taking packaging that we collect with Loxaton and turning it into echo bags, right? And it's something that is attractive to the Loxaton consumer. And this is, you know, something that's more recent. Um, we collected plastic all over Japan at Eon stores, um, processed it, recycled it, and built them into the Olympic podiums, which you're perhaps seeing on TV now. Um, another initiative is the Ocean Plastic Initiative, which we started in 2017 in France. Um, how do we pay for it, right? We sold the material to Procter & Gamble, and Procter & Gamble used that material to produce ocean plastic shampoo bottles. In Japan, you know, we, we work with, um, with Kosei Corporation, and that plastic was used to produce shopping baskets. Also with Pilot Corporation, they paid for the ocean plastic, we sourced, recycled, and compounded for them, right? And they use it to produce ballpoint pens. And you know that's that's a lot of what TerraCycle does. It's about finding ways to create the value chain for plastic waste through some kind of innovation or creativity through the power of design. But you know it's not an easy thing to extract value from garbage. And when you melt plastic, most non-engineered plastics, right, they degrade. Their properties become weaker. And so even if you were to collect all the garbage, plastic garbage in the world recycle it all, the problem is that you couldn't put it back 100% into the packaging or the product, right? You have to downgrade too often. And so recycling is not going to be the only answer to the waste problem. And that is why we took a look at reuse, right? How do we address the single use plastic problem at its source? And, you know, the answer for us was, you know, what if we empower businesses to make that shift by providing a platform for reuse that can make reuse accessible, affordable, convenient. And we did this by borrowing wisdom from the past. The old circular models like the Milkman, where the milk company owned the bottle and they only sold the content, right? I mean, how many of you, right? After you eat a, a you know, um, a, a bag of some kind of snack food, or beverage, do you want the package after you're done? No, right? You don't. You only want the content. You know, and so a long time ago, the content was sold and the bottle was owned by the manufacturer and it was their own asset. And if it's something you own, you want it to last a long time because that will help reduce right, your cost of production and sales. Now, the, the shift to disposability, you know, there were market forces that made this inevitable. Once it happened, it just shifted everything from durable to disposable because it's cheaper and it's convenient. And it shifted the ownership of packaging, right, from the manufacturer to the consumer um, and became a cost of goods sold. And, you know, you saw this chart before, when it's a cost and not your own asset, what do you do? You drive the cost down. And this is why we moved from glass to aluminum to pet to packs to pouches, right? Lighter and cheaper. Uh, the problem is that with lower material value, you can see recycling rates also go down because, right, it doesn't make economic sense. There's no value chain. And so when we examine reuse, we have to address this big problem. How do you fight with disposability, right? Cost is a big factor, right? A plastic package, you know, can be like one thirtieth the cost 
of a stainless steel package. And it doesn't make economic sense if it's only a single use. It might make sense, however, if you use it many, many times, right? The more times you circulate this, the lower the amortized cost per sale. And so if you make things durable, you can spend more money on them. If you spend more money on them, you can also unlock different design, right? Um, an ice cream container, which you can leave outside for many hours without the ice cream melting. That's not possible with paper, right? You know, you, you, can, you can make things that are more beautiful, right? Um, I don't know if, you know, I, I have pets and, you know, I, I transfer my pet food to airtight containers myself. Wouldn't it be great if they already came that way? And if, you know, the company that provided them took the packaging back and washed it for you and refilled it. You know, in, this is an example of some of the packaging in Japan. You know, it's, it's, it's attractive, you know, it's functional. And we don't have a lot of fruit products yet, but in the future, wouldn't it be great, right, if better packaging for fruit products extended shelf life and reduced food waste? That loop is really simple. It's, it's nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. You sell your products as a manufacturer online, which will happen at the end of next month. Or you, you distribute it to retailers like Eon. Right. And, you know, you already saw the map, but we're expanding this, you know, to many countries throughout the world, not just Japan. Um, it'll soon be coming to Australia and hopefully to other parts of Asia as well. And the key behind the platform is really simple. Right. It's to make reuse feel like disposability. And, you know, how do you do that? Right. You allow people access to it without having to change their lifestyle. So at Eon, you know, you can go at the bottom right here. You know, people go to the supermarket in Japan maybe once a week. You can buy your loot products there, and the next time you go to the supermarket, you can return your empties. Yes, you have to carry your empties to the supermarket again, but you don't have to change your lifestyle pattern to do so. And the more venues, right, this collection becomes available in, right, the more and more convenient it is. And so that's part of the goal of what we're doing, is to make sustainability attractive, to make sustainability accessible, to make sustainability hopefully, you know, irresistible or to make it right, something that doesn't require you to change your entire lifestyle to participate in. And, you know, in a nutshell, that's, that's behind the platform and the concept. That is, so it sounds, when you say it, it sounds really simple, right? It sounds, <laughs> it sounds really obvious. But I am so excited to start seeing it in action. Now, this is just about to happen in Japan, right? You had people sign up. Uh, you're going to launch it in Tokyo first uh, in August. Is that right? Yeah. So it'll be, well, the, the first signups for registration for, for the Tokyo area. And there'll be some announcements coming out. There'll be a bit of expansion as well, but, but primarily in and around the Tokyo area. And... Yeah, and with retail in-store, um, it's still small. It's only in 19 locations. Um, again, there we hope to, you know, expand within Tokyo, hopefully, you know, in the future within Kanto and then maybe nationwide. Yeah, that's great. Um, so with this uh, collaboration with Eon Mall, Eon Mall is all over Japan. So are we going to start seeing this? at all Eon malls around Japan or just the Tokyo area for now? Well, I, I think, you know, it's starting in Tokyo and you'll see it expand. Well, it, well there's, there's one location in 
Makuhari and there's one location in Zama right now. So there are a few outside. And the next expansion will be also within the Kanto area. So I think that's going to be the first phase. And from there, you know, you'll see expansion probably into uh, other urban areas, you know, like in Kansai in the future. And, wow. you know, hopefully then throughout Honshu. It's really exciting. Um, so the idea of the delivery system and then having it in an actual brick and mortar location, it's a very different kind of customer. Of course, a lot of people are ordering food online right now or items um, because of coronavirus, but yeah. people are also still going to the store and having a great network using existing infrastructure, not making people work too hard to change their habits. I, I love all these concepts. It's definitely the way to do it, not to not to reinvent the wheel, right? Yeah, I think leveraging existing infrastructure, right, is the best way to do it. And you know, as in-store retail expands, um, you know, leveraging reverse logistics through the retailers as well um, can lower the carbon footprint and lower the cost of the platform. Uh, the more you scale, right, the lower the cost per unit becomes. And so, you know, that's what we're looking to do um, to continue to drive efficiency. And it's not, it's, not a, it's not a mystery, but quite often, the more efficient you operate, the lower your costs, right? But the more efficient you operate also, the lower your carbon impact as well. So they actually go hand in hand. Right. For uh, your job, uh, setting up partnerships with companies to work on the Luke, uh, Loop project together, uh, what is the biggest selling point for the businesses? Is it to improve their brand or is it to reduce their costs because they're paying a lot for existing packaging, which is single use, right? What, how, do you, how do you pitch it and what's the most successful way to sell it? Well, it's for, for, for a manufacturer, it's, it's very expensive at the beginning, right? Because they don't have existing production lines most of the time for reusable packaging. So at the beginning for Loop as well and for our brand partners, it is very expensive. And in the future, right, with scale and efficiency, it, it could become economically superior. But, you know, at the beginning, it is expensive. So I say the, the, there are a few motivating factors for them. Um, one of them is, you know, it's, it's a really good one is that they do realize that they do have an impact on the environment. And they do realize that single-use packaging, you know, cannot continue as it is forever. Um, and so a lot of them have been thinking about different ways to reduce their own impact. And so many of the companies, and it may be surprising to some consumers in Japan that they had already been thinking about reuse in the future. Many of them had contemplated reusable packaging um, for, the, for, I think, the good sustainable reasons. The, you know, the other one is, is, I think, in Japan at least, it's, it's more strategic because the level of engagement for the average consumer in Japan is still not as high as it is in France or in the UK in terms of um, environmental sustainability. But there, is, there are many signs that the consumer in Japan uh, is becoming more discerning, that there's becoming a greater amount of awareness in society about what the trash problems are in this country as well. 
and brands know that they're going to have to answer to the consumers. And so overseas, you know, you, you've seen a lot of early activity where brands realize that they need to provide sustainable alternatives to consumers, right? Or, or they're, they're going to look elsewhere. And so a lot of the companies were getting ahead of the curve, I think in Japan as well, realizing that as the level of awareness increases and consumers want sustainable alternatives, want to be ready to provide them with different means of consumption, which are more environmentally friendly. Definitely. And I think um, for me as, as a female, and I know male people also use beauty products, but for me, whenever I buy a beauty product, this is the worst it's single use plastic. And one yeah. of your founding members was Shiseido, right? Yeah, so Shiseido, Shiseido was uh, one of the first members um, who, who joined Loop as well. And it's, it's interesting you bring up that, that particular topic because I use this as an example quite often because uh, in our programs, and, and it's the same for Japan, um, in most countries, about 70% of our users are, are female. And I, you know, there are many reasons for that. Uh, quite often, though, um, you know, usually there are a lot of mothers, and there's a lot of concern for the future of the world for children, their own children as well, which is, I think, maybe it's you know part of maternal instinct, but that is, um, you know, it's it's something that's universal with all our programs, and so it's really interesting because I, you know, I had I asked the question quite often. It's you know for 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 women who you know, who spend, I think, spend a lot of time deciding what kind of products they're going to use, you know, um, to put on their skin. So people don't, women don't just pick any product off the shelf. I think that they spend a lot of time deciding what they use. And generally, when they decide on a brand or product that they, they want to use, they generally like it. Well, I hope they do. And they, they generally have some kind of affection for that particular brand or product. And cosmetic packaging is very expensive, actually. Cosmetics, you know, themselves are expensive. And so we, you know, we asked the question, it's really interesting that, you know, imagine your favorite cosmetic product that you use on a daily basis. Um, you like the package, you like the product. And it's really funny, you know, the instant you use the last drop, right, of that product, it now is, is not a product to you. It's a, it's a piece of waste that you have to dispose of. And quite often cosmetic products are complex packaging. Right. They could be glass, it could be metal, there's many different products. And many people at the end of the use wonder, where do I put this? How do I dispose of it? And quite often there's even a feeling of guilt because you're not sure which category it goes into. And you know, so cosmetic companies you know, have started to realize that, that if they can provide the consumer with an alternative to eliminate that guilt, to let them know that, hey, it's, uh, it's not going to be wasted, right? Maybe it'll be recycled or maybe it'll be reused. Um, it's a powerful message um, from the manufacturer to the consumer. And Shiseido, you know, realizes that as well. And they, they want to take steps to, to provide that alternative to their consumers. That's awesome to hear. I, I have started importing beauty products from other countries because it'll come in compostable or biodegradable containers. 
um, instead of the plastic, which I know cannot be recycled or reused in any way. Um, I know Lush, they have their own system yes. of taking yes. back the containers and, yes. and washing and reusing. So that's another good example, but they don't have the range of beauty products and cosmetics that Shiseido does. So that's, mm -hmm. that's a good step. L'Oreal, actually the, you know, L'Oreal in Japan, um, this year in May, uh, launched multiple um, recycling programs with us. And it's probably the most comprehensive um, cosmetics recycling programs that we have um, in the world. The other one is China, but you know, everything from Kiehl's, Lancome, Maybelline, um, you know, numerous products, um, even some of the hair care products now are becoming recyclable and they're installing these recycling collection points at retailers. And so, you know, if you, you take a look at our webpage, not all of them are on the page, but um, quite a few of the recyclable programs are, are listed there. Yeah, that's great to see. Um, I, I think back, you have Coca-Cola as one of the products um, in the loop system. And I'm so glad to see that because whenever I do a beach clean, like you know, who've, who've done many beach cleans as well, yeah. one of the biggest polluter of ocean plastics is Coca-Cola. And But I always think back, and sometimes you see it in Japan, the old retro machine, right? Where you yeah. have the glass bottles, you buy it, you drink it, you put it back in the basket, it's washed and reused. I would love to see that system brought back more. Is there a chance we'll see loop machines with a bunch of reusable drinks in there? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, actually, you know, we were looking at different ways to deploy and collect. So that's, that's you know, it's definitely one of the ideas. And yeah, it's, it's a shame, you know, because Coca-Cola and some beverage companies, they still do sell um, glass bottles that are reused, but only B2B. So, you know, we're trying to, to pull these companies, you know, um, to bring this to the consumer um, in a B2C format as well. But yeah, I, you know, we'd love to, we're looking at different smart bins, you know, we'd love to, to combine the bins with, you know, with, with vending machines, um, you know, for reuse. I think that'd be a fantastic idea. That would be awesome to see. Um, sometimes I play a little game with myself and I, I have uh, weaned myself off of buying pet bottles for drinks a few years ago. So I, I just won't buy it if it's in a pet bottle. Um, I have now, uh, now I'll buy like the Genki drinks or, <laughs> or like the, the glass bottle little drinks that they have in community stores because I, I won't buy a pet bottle. And your founder talks about this a lot. How long do you use the container? If you use it for yeah. a really short amount of time and it's single yeah. use, don't buy that. So sometimes I'll watch people buy pet bottles out of the machine and I actually count in my head and it's like under a minute or it's within five minutes. It's such a short amount of time. So definitely we want reusable containers for most drinks, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, like car carbonated beverages, um, you know, it's, it's hard to find in usable. I mean, um, I mean, it's a, it's not a loop product, but I, you know, for example, soda stream, soda stream is a, it's a great product. Um, and, you know, if, if you consume 
uh, carbonated beverages and you, you know, the I'm, right now almost the only format you can buy them in is disposable. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, you know, if, if you were to use something like a soda stream, it would be interesting. You could see how many PET bottles you can eliminate it would be, it's, it's pretty significant, right? Yeah. But it's, but yeah, we need more, I think we need more, um, high, you know, high consumption or high, high turnover rate items, um, or high frequency items to, to be moved into the usable format as well. And yeah. so, yeah, we, you'll see, you'll see, in hopefully not, in the not too distant future, uh, beverages coming onto loop platform as well. Yeah. In, that's in, wonderful. In Japan. Yeah. And even, even reusing your own container, like having machines more for drinks where, like you said, soda stream, where you just put your own container under and fill up and you only pay for the product. Cause really that's all you want. You don't want to buy yeah. the package, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you'll see, I think there, there are many um, other business models out there that are looking at the, the beverage issue as well. Um, you know, or, you know, people, you know, pe people who are buying bottled water, you know, um, for example, like, uh, the, the Mainizu initiative, I think that's a great one. Um, you know, identifying public places where you can fill your own, you know, your own, uh, thermos or your own tumbler or your own, right. Your own bottle. I think that's, uh, it's a great initiative. Absolutely. And I uh, hope to see more of it. Your, your founder, I was listening to an interview that he was doing, and, and he says his checklist of whether he's going to buy something or not starts with, do you need it? Right? Do you need yeah. it is the key question. And yeah. then has it been reused? And then is it reusable? And then is it recyclable? Right? Is like next. And then if it's not any of those four, Mm -mm, not buying it. So that's a really great routine, I think, to have those those high standards. Yeah, we talk about well, you know, we talk about the, the the three R's all the time, and you know, there's there's also the fourth R, which is re refusal as well. And um, you know, we you know, people ask is you know, what can I do as an individual um, to make a difference? Um, well, all of us have more power than I think we think we, we, we can vote with our wallets. And I know Tom likes to use that term too. Uh, you know, if, if you buy things that are non-sustainable, if you, if you buy products that are not environmental, environmentally friendly, another one will come on, on board the next day on the shelf. It'll be replaced with another product in, in, in the same type of format. And if you shift that consumption to sustainable products, in sustainable packaging, um, you'll get another one the next day. You know, so you can really you can really make an impact um, in your own consumption patterns. And you know, we we're we're in a consumer society, right? There's so much consumerism, and you know, I you know I I'm too you know I'm myself too. But it's you have to ask yourself, you know, do I really need this? And when you buy things, um, of course, you, you look at, is it, has it been reused or maybe, you know, you can buy something a second hand, you can give it a second life. What you're buying, can you, can you recycle at an end of life? Those are all great questions. And I think, um, for example, even in, in, in fashion, right. Um, you know, I mean, 
you know, are we going to submit to the fast fashion trends? And I think we forget, but apparel is a massive source of waste as well. And so, you know, when you buy something, do you want to buy something that's inexpensive, that is not going to last a long time, and it's very tempting to do so. And it's not always possible. You know, Japan has relatively, you know, um, wealthier middle class than other countries. So people have more disposable income in Japan than maybe in, in other countries in Southeast Asia. But I would say in developed countries that where people have discretionary income and you're about to buy something, think about, you know, wait, can I, can I use this a long time? Or maybe if I do spend a little more money, right, maybe I should buy something that I really, really like that I really think I'm going to use for a long time, something that's going to last. And in the long run, the longer you use it, right, the cheaper it really is, right? You're getting a longer use out of it. And so, you know, it, it, it's, you know, it's not that you need to stop buying things. You just stop to need to start selecting what you buy more carefully. Absolutely. Um, can you tell me a little bit how Loop is actually going to work? Uh, how does the customer actually use it? Do they have a member system they have to pay into, or do they pay a deposit on the containers and then get the deposit back? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a, it's a, it's the latter. So it's you know it's like um, how Coca Cola used to be. Um, I, you know, you're. I think most of the people are younger, a lot younger than I am. But you know, when when I was it when I was growing up, if you you know you could return a glass bottle to the point of sale and get your deposit back. It's it's you know it's the same concept. Um, the deposit and the price of the product. You pay both for loot. And if you return the bottle, right, um, of course, we have to check to make sure it's been returned properly. And once we confirm that, right, you can get your money back. And it's tracked through a smartphone application. So you register for an account on the loop application. And when you return your bottle, right, you can use a QR code dispenser next to the, it's, it's usually on, you don't have a photo, but it's on the collection box and you, you register that QR code, right? With your application. so we know it's from you when you send it back, we confirm and then we give your deposit back. So it's, it's like the old deposit system with a bit of modern, modernization. Yeah, so on the deposit uh, box here, you can see the QR code on the top right. Um, this is this is a pilot, is it? Was it with Google that you you did this pilot program? No, no. So so we developed our own app actually, and if you see on the, the top left of the box, there's a little handle, and if you pull that handle down, uh, a QR code sticker will come out. You apply that to your package, and you know scan it into the app, and you're done. Very clever. So anybody can use it. They don't have to pay a monthly membership or yearly membership. No, no. Yeah, you just um, you just register for your you just register um, um, in the, within the Loop application. That's all you need to do. You know, I mean, you have to put in your some of your personal information so you can get your money back. But that's about it. Yeah, there's no membership fee. That's awesome. Um, you've been doing a lot of interviews and media launch, of course, because you're just about to start the system. How has the response been on, on the media you've done so far? Yeah, I mean, we were, we were surprised about the amount of media coverage. Um, you know, when we did the in-store um, launch, 
uh, yeah, it, we were surprised. Every actually every um, TV media outlet in Japan actually came to the. Uh, it wasn't an event. It was just it's just opening for sale. So you know, I, I it's it's good to see that the media is is aware of the problems and that they're actually trying to help highlight different solutions. Um, so consumers can be aware that these alternatives are coming. So, uh, you know, we're really, really encouraged by the fact that, you know, like, like NHK and, um, you know, uh, WBS and many other, um, you know, well-known uh, TV media uh, broadcasts and uh, TV shows had covered the event. So, you know, I, it's an indication to me that that they're aware of it and it means that i think the government is also aware of it as well and they see a need for these types of solutions and not just loop but you know others as well and that they are willing to you know look at this little company that we started in japan and try to to help us get the word out that you know this is here and helping to i think increase interest in the platform so we can in, in, increase usage and increase scale yeah, wonderful. We have a great question from Rob Dyer here. Um, given the positive media response, do you think the public is as supportive of the idea? Yeah, so it's that's a really, really good question. And in Japan, um, it, there's a lot of market research on this. If you ask the average person about, you know, what do you think about global warming? Is it good or bad? I mean, they know the right answer. Um, if you show them this reuse platform, do you think it's good or bad? And they say it's great, right? And it's still, it's still the challenge in Japan is how to get them from understanding that this is better from to the point where they're actually participating. And so that's the biggest challenge in Japan um, is getting people to move into action. And that that is, you know, it's still a big challenge for us as well. Um, we've had good participation so far. But it's we you know we need more, and that's going to come with education because people just really don't understand that there's a problem, right? Yeah, I I see that I hear that a lot. Um, there's there's just a lack of awareness that there is yeah. a problem at all, right? Well, because I mean it's you know like it's because it's such a clean country. There's great infrastructure. You don't see pollution on the streets. Um, if you go to Southeast Asia, people are really, really well aware of the problem. Um, and in Japan, right, you know, you, you and I probably both lived in this country for a very long time, right? And right, you separate your waste at home into different categories, and you take out the right waste on the right day. And myself included, until I learned more about it, I assumed all of it was being recycled. Why else, why else would I be separating it at home, right? <laughs> I didn't know that it was being incinerated. Um, you know, I didn't know that different categories of plastic are burning at different rates. So, you know, helping to categorize these can help regulate the temperature in an incinerator. I thought that I'm separating things because they're going to be recycled. And, you know, on the company side as well, right? Companies thought they're paying, paying taxes to, to an association for circular recycling. And some of it does go there, but a majority of it went to pay for incineration. And, you know, when you have this lack of awareness and effort that you're making in your daily life, which you think is going to recycling, it's really hard to convince somebody there's a problem. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think once they see this system in the stores, especially at Eon or uh, an infrastructure type system, which is already established and which they trust, I think that's a, a, a big issue in Japan for any new kind of system or any new kind of product is can I trust it? But because the brands you are collaborating with and the infrastructure you are using is a trusted system, I think the hurdles a lot lower, don't you think? Yeah, I, I, you know the big advantage is that, well, so we we're not making loop products. We're providing a platform to to large companies, and so that adds credibility to the platform. I think so. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Definitely. Uh, similar in the UK, a lot of incineration is being touted as green recycling. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> actually, yeah. actually, in Japan, the, the incineration is included in the recycling numbers, right? 80%. And it's, it's just, uh, I don't yeah. think we can include burning garbage as recycling. Well, the good, the good news is that um, the government no longer uses the term thermal recycling. At oh, least. they don't? Okay. Yeah, they, they've changed it to heat capture. So, you know, at least the the term recycling has been removed. Um, you know, and, I, and I think that other countries in the G20 um, likely pointed that out, I think, as well. Um, and so, you know, I mean, you know, incineration is is necessary for for sanitation. And, you know, we do realize that. And, you know, I mean, on average, I think the average person in Japan now, I think it's about um, about 700, 770 grams of waste per day um, produced by every single person in, in Japan. I think global average is close to like 1.1 kilograms. And, you know, I, you know, unfortunately, there's just too much waste. So incineration is, is a necessity, but there's just far, far too um, little circularity. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think once the consumer realizes that it's the buyer who pays the cost of the container, yeah, I think the image is the buyer is only buying the product inside and the business pays for the container. And that's not true, no, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, it's not true. And, that, and that's why you know, it's, a, it's a cost of goods sold and that's why they make it as light and cheap as possible, right? In most cases. Um, the problem is that, you know, the, the, the cheaper the material is, the less recyclable it's going to be. So, you know, you can, you can lower the amount of material used in packaging, but unfortunately, you, you actually sometimes make it less recyclable. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some of the big companies you've had some success with in not only in Japan, but in other countries. Uh, McDonald's, uh, Burger King reusing some of the in-store products. So it's not just about uh, what you take home. It's yeah. also changing the system of what's used in the store as well. Is that right? Yeah, so um, starting with the, the, EO, the EU directive, um, I think it was, a, it was just a couple weeks ago that um, one of the components became effective um, is, is targeted um, at the fast food industry. And it targets certain types of single-use plastics and materials that are used by fast foods that will no longer be, um, you know, um, allowed. I think you know in France and other EU countries, and so um, you know RBI and Burger King 
you know, as one example, is getting ahead of the curve and starting to make the switch um, from some of their disposal packaging to reusable. And you know, it, it's starting it's starting in the in the US and Europe with 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 RBI at Burger King. And it will be with sandwich containers and uh, and cup containers. I think you may have seen the news, the the initial initiative with McDonald's in um, in in some of the stores in London as well. Um, started with replacing beverage containers um, that are disposable to reusable containers as well. And I think you know I think we'll see that expand, uh, especially in Europe, um, because of the EU directive, um, where more reuse will be incorporated into the fast food industry. Yeah, I'm I'm showing the web page right now and all your global partners. And this is something, you know, as as someone who's trying to eat more plant based um, is it's difficult. Right. And the biggest changes kind of need to happen with fast food because that's what is eaten most. So, so when you're talking about reducing global meat consumption, if a fast food chain like McDonald's or Burger King can add even one vegan burger that, that is reducing <laughs> a huge amount of yeah. the demand on meat, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like when McDonald's offered apple slices, they suddenly became the biggest demand of apples in the world or Starbucks changing to fair trade coffee. So major retailers or major consume uh, businesses that consume a lot of resources, small changes, big change, right? Yeah. So yeah, you're right. And you know, with with, with fast food like McDonald's, um, it's just the sheer scale of their operations. Um, you know, one change yeah can have have, have quite a bit of impact. And I, you know, I think that's. That's you know I think Europe is so far ahead of the rest of the world in terms of these directives, and I you know I hope to see these happening in in, in Asia as well. Um, but yeah, those legislative changes are helping to address the market defect, right? Which is going to force companies to internalize the externalities of pollution and plastic waste. It's so interesting, isn't it? Uh, do you foresee that we're gonna we're gonna see huge changes in Japan and around the world within the next year or so? Um, yeah, yeah. There, I mean, I, there have been announcements uh, about the legislative calendar, and there, you know, there are changes in in the laws in Japan that are being announced as well, right? About um, you know making things more recyclable or making, um, you know, recycling uh, more prevalently available, for example. But it's a very complex, very complex problem, right? Um, because just by making something recyclable through the provision of uh, a factory facility doesn't mean anybody's going to actually buy that raw material, right? And so the complex problems, right? And what, what we're going to need to see is companies that are manufacturing plastic products to use more recycled material um, and recycling is expensive so you know there, there, maybe there has to be some kind of a carrot provided by the government uh, to encourage companies to use that material even though it's more expensive that is such a key point and that's something um tom 
Zesky um, says in a lot of his interviews is if companies don't change now, the laws or regulations or yeah. fines or taxes on these harmful products that they are using for packaging could suddenly change. And so if they get ahead of the curve and change before it, they have to change for compliance, they're ahead of the game. They're going to be better off, right? Well, absolutely. They, then they can, they can have a say in the shift or they can control the shift a bit more um, if they voluntarily you know, make those changes as opposed to, you know, if, if it gets to too critical a state, there'll, there'll have to be an extreme, right, legislative action. And I'm, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody wants um, to go to that point, right? But yeah, it, it will have to happen at some point. But, but companies are, are making the changes because, um, you know, I, I was on a call today and it was mentioned, um, you know, um, a particular oil and gas company who would not, define their business model as an energy company, but really as just oil and gas. And, you know, their share price um, and the business is really suffering now, right? And, you know, it's, if you look at the global trends, they're moving towards sustainability um, and the financial institutions and institutional investors are looking at ESG right very carefully because if you destroy the planet right there aren't going to be any consumers or products to sell um if you if you destroy the environment you destroy natural resources again you just destroy your ability to produce and companies that practice very good environmental um policy right have have good sustainability and good commitment to society right and have good governance Right, which is which is ESG uh, must have good risk control, um, must have good foresight and planning, um, you know, and maybe are a safer investment. And as equity research companies realize this, and this actually becomes a real component in how shareholders and investors value companies. Right, it's going to be increasingly important to companies in in their policies around sustainability. So it's coming from both the owners of the companies, the shareholders, and from the consumers. So I think there's a lot of hope that there is more and more change that's going to accelerate and maybe, maybe less legislation needed. That the market forces and the consumer choices itself will create change from the consumer level, kind of from the bottom up, is that right? Yeah, yeah, and and I think and I think legislation is needed to help support that, right, and accelerate it. But you know, it'd be it's better for for you know I think private and public to work together. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen in this next year, especially with Loop. You've been working on it a long time. You founded the office in 2014. Uh, I've been hearing about Loop is coming. It's coming <laughs> for years in Japan. Really excited about its launch. Um, so it's starting in Tokyo uh, in next week or so. So and, it, yeah, it'll be um, um, e-commerce will launch um, on August 31st. Yeah. 
Yeah, exciting. And then from there, uh, is there a time frame when we might start seeing it in the Eon malls? Um, yeah, actually, so it's already it's already in 19 stores, um, 17 stores in um, in Central Tokyo, one in Makuhari, and one in uh, in Yokohama in Sama. Wonderful. So if you're in the Tokyo area, seek out those stores and give it a try. Um, and we hope to see more vegan options in the loop system. That would be wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know you're you're going for um, which products are most popular or which brands want to work with you. It's it's not like you're choosing exactly what products, right? Oh no, we we seek we seek out companies as well, and we do seek out companies making organic foods, companies making, you know, different types of options as well. Um, because we, we believe that a lot of the options, like the vegan options, for example, um, they're very conducive to the people who want to use our platform. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Yeah. Um, and people who will make the effort to, to get it right. Like Absolutely. we, we know for travelers, if they're vegan plant-based seekers that they will go way out of their way to get to somewhere that has vegan plant-based food. Cause it's so hard to find in Japan. So also for sustainability, people who like healthy products, more sustainable products will definitely seek out your system. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And so we are, we're actively pursuing many different companies, um, you know, in, including including those that have you know healthier options as well. Absolutely, that's great. Is there a shelf life problem? Because one of sure. the most yeah. wasteful things that I buy all the time is tofu, and they're yeah. always in single-use plastic, right? Yeah. No, and so so we you know we had done the the loop bento project um, and food container project with the Tokyo government this year in February. And so we're, we're looking at, um, you know, food containers as well, or prepared foods. And it could be, you know, it could even be, um, you know, a lot of perishable foods as well, instead of maybe uh, a single use tray, uh, a reusable tray, right? And so we'd run that experiment actually with, um, with Mitsukoshi in Nihonbashi in February. And um, with, um, Two locations, one in, in Otemachi and one in Ropongi. And we're hoping to bring that platform as well to Japan. Wow, that would be great. I often think that even when you have a very high quality bento and you have a cheap single use plastic container, it reduces the image of quality immediately, <laughs> right? Like if yeah. you have a nice wooden box bento container a reusable like traditional yeah. variety like you often see the families using the multi-tier oh my gosh the image of the food immediately goes up right yeah 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 i, I agree i agree and yeah and, and there are some you know reusable uh you know bento boxes that are delivery options as well um you know we just want to increase those offerings right yeah, yeah. wonderful well, thank you so much, Eric, for joining the talk show and for sharing all your insights. Uh, if I'm hoping that anybody, even outside of Japan, will look into whether Loop and TerraCycle is in their area because you do have a very wide network, right? Yeah, yeah. So there, you know, there there are a lot of different collection points for recycling. Um, you know, so you know, with, with Eon and many other retailers, 
Um, we, we like to work with retailers because it makes things more accessible. Um, yeah, so please, you know, please seek us out and, um, you know, you can check out, you can check out our homepage and a lot of information as well. But uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure joining you today. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, you have a link tree page uh, for Loop Japan. Uh, I think if you search Google for Loop Japan or TerraCycle Japan, you'll find all the links as well. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a great day.